Well, hey, last week we began uh, a series that we're calling Sticks and Stones, and Christina Papuyas uh, shared uh, really about the integration of our heart and our words and how, how inseparably connected uh, those things really are. And this week we continue uh, the conversation re- really that, that revolves around this idea that our words matter and how we spend our words, how we give and receive words really is very important to life. I was sitting with uh, my wife, Sherry, the other day. We were in our living room. We were talking and, and really having uh, what, what we would call like important conversation, perhaps even serious conversation. And we have kids, so, so any parent could probably understand this. Uh, we're talking, and every you know, few minutes or so, our, our one son, Hudson, who some have called a talking machine, uh, comes in in a very cute and adorable way. Of course, I'm not biased, but he comes in. And um, we're in serious conversation. He just you know, jolts in, right, interrupts. Hey, I found a rock outside. Look at this amazing rock. Oh, that's so cool, Hudson, you know. And then he moseys back outside and continues to play. And Sherry and I continue to talk. And it seemed like uh, two minutes later, he's back in. Oh, I found, a, I found crystals, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's actually quartz rock. But yeah, that's exciting to find crystals. And, 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 you know, on and on this goes. And, you know, after one, two, maybe three, it's like so cute and so adorable. And we're with them, you know. And then, again, we're in serious conversation. And so, but after like number seven, of interruption, you're just kind of like, okay, Hudson, like, stay outside right now, you know? And so I thought in that moment I was going to have a little father-to-son sort of like teaching moment, a gentle one, but like, we got to teach this kid. You just can't interrupt anytime you want. You got to sense out, be attuned to the conversation. He's seven, you know, so he's, he's got time to learn. But um, so, so I said, Hudson, I said, uh, what words do you think, I didn't even know where I was going with this, but I said, what words do you think you say the most? And he says, I love you, and I was like, oh my goodness, I was like so humbled in that moment, because I was ready to like teach him something about interruption, you know, and I just was like taken back, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, my heart is melting, you know, and uh, that wasn't even Father's Day, it was the day before Father. no, it was a couple days ago, I think, but um, anyhow, it was, it was a moment, right, and, and as any parent w- would understand, the, the words I love you, I mean, there's not many things that compare, that, that bring that kind of joy and gratitude in that moment to your heart. And I thought about that moment on two levels. On one level, the exchange of life-giving words that fuel the soul or fill the soul, right, from one person to another. That can happen father to son, and it can happen a lot of different ways. But the other level I thought of it is the words of the Father, our Heavenly Father to us, the words, I love you, words that I believe throughout the Scriptures over and over again, He wants us as human beings to hear and to receive at the deepest level. These are profound, they're, they're simple, but they're profoundly impacting words. They're life-giving words. And whether they're coming from God to us or whether they're coming from one person to another, these words matter in life. These kind of words matter. It goes beyond just, I love you. And perhaps if I was to guess, if you were honest with yourself, when you think about the exchanging of, of life-giving or encouraging or, or hope-filled words in your life, I bet most of us in this room would say, yeah, I wish I did that more. I wish I gave to the people that I love the most. I wish I gave those kind of words more consistently. And then on the other side of it, if we're honest, at least in certain moments, I, I imagine most of us would also say that we're in touch with the reality of our need and our desire to hear and receive those kind of words, the words of kindness, the words of encouragement, the words of hope, the words of life, at least in certain moments when we need it. 
and we're in touch with both the giving and receiving of words. And I think that is partly just what it means to be human. And the scriptures speak to, to our longings and desires along these lines. And it gives us guidance into how we ought to give and even receive words, words of life and hope and encouragement. The scriptures remind us of how important our words really are. In Proverbs chapter 18, I love these two verses. In verse 20, it says this, from the fruit of their mouths, people's stomachs are filled. Now, this is actually a metaphor. This text is rich in metaphor. And the stomach here is the metaphor for the soul. We learn that good words, true words, loving words, kind words, the Proverbs is telling us, fill the soul. And then the next part of that verse, with the harvest of our lips, the soul is satisfied. In other words, our souls have this remarkable capacity to take words in, to receive them, and to feel a sense of deep satisfaction, to be filled up, or or for hope to be infused into us, or life. God made us to need these kinds of words. These kinds of words ought to be exchanged among us, and, and it has everything to do with what it means to be human. The fruit is meant to be given to others is a different way to say it, not to stay on the branch. And then in verse 21, he says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. God made you and me with the great capacity to give words of life, to speak words of life to people, to believe in people, to see them and even to spotlight what is good and right and beautiful and true about them. We're all aware of this because we've had those moments when we've needed that kind of word. And someone's delivered it to us. Someone said it. Most of the time, they probably didn't even know how deeply meaningful that word was, that encouraging word. And then the verse continues. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, to understand this, he's saying words are a gift given to us by God. The capacity for us to give words to another is a gift. And the meaningful exchange of our words is an important part of what it means to live in community. And the Bible teaches here that our words are meant to be shared in a meaningful way. And part of what this last part of the verse is saying also is that people, one, that share these kind of words, I mean, they ought to be treasured. And two, we ought to allow the encouraging words, because sometimes we don't want to be vulnerable, right? We don't want to admit that we have this need, but but we ought to treasure these. We ought to love, right? It says you will love it, um, those who love it will eat its fruit, right? Like absorb it, they appreciate it, they're grateful for it, they're grateful to those people for it. And they allow it to encourage them. Now, that's one side of the exchange of words. Of course, we all know about the other side, too. Right? The words that we exchange in life, yeah, they can be positive and powerful and life-giving. But all of us also know that words can do damage, that words can hurt. And James Chapter 3 in the scriptures says it like this in one translation, verse 8. 
With our tongues, we bless God, our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. And then he says, my friends, this can't go on. The cursing part, the negative part he's talking about. Words have power to bring life and to bring death as well, he says. And this idea of of sticks and stones, we've all heard this, may break my bones and what? Names will never hurt, words will never hurt. Eh, Wrong, not true, if we're honest. Because words can hurt. I've had words said to me in my own life that, that have hurt many times. I know you have too. So words can do good and words can do bad. The, the experts, depending on where you find the information, but the experts tell us that it takes between seven and ten compliments to make up for one criticism. Oftentimes you see this sort of talked about in marriage context, but even goes beyond that. And the reality is God made us to need encouragement, way more than, than, than what we get in criticism, right? To, to overcompensate for that. And God also knows something about the world that we live, that we don't naturally get the kind of encouraging words, most of us, probably all of us, we don't naturally get that from the world we live. And then you take into effect that some of you in the room, I would imagine, have been, have been um, through things or, or had a past, perhaps there was even verbal abuse or, or, or painful words that laced through your history, and that's a painful history. They were words that were not loving and not kind and not, encouraging and not encouraging and far from it. And in very real ways, those words affect us as people. They affect our lives. And sometimes it's the painful past memories of those, the, the stuff that gets lodged in your heart that makes us sensitive to even different kinds of dynamics and words and relationships. The hope for us is that God can transform us, but at the same time, we have to live in the day-to-day to reality of those sensitivities. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, some of you grew up in an environment where there are positive, life-giving words. You were infused with them all along the way, and you're very grateful for that, and that affects you too. But here's the thing, no matter where we are on the spectrum, all of us have a story, and no matter what our story is, we all stand at a deficit in, our, in terms of our need for encouraging words. It's how God made us. In other words, we need to be encouraged no matter where we've come from, what we've been through. And that also means that we need one another to shine the spotlight of truth. What is the truth about us? To notice the strengths, the talents, to notice our worth and gifts and abilities, to acknowledge that and express it, to see the God-given value that is true about all of us. We all need to be reminded that we matter, that you matter not only to the people around you, but you matter ultimately to God. And part of how we relate to one another and God's call really for our lives is to serve and love one another through the exchange of words. Now, all that to say, to move it to really practical application, the, the idea here is not that we sort of move through life looking for all kinds of people to give us words, as if we go around like we're desperate for words, hey, we need words, we're vulnerable, we need, no, no, that's not the idea. What, what God is inviting us to do is this, though, to become a person who speaks the right kind of words to those around you in your life to speak words of life and hope and encouragement that fill and fuel the soul. And every single day, all of us, every single day, 
There are opportunities in front of us. We come into contact with people that we can express encouraging, life-giving, hope-filling, caring and kind words. Really simply, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, encourage one another daily. It's not a suggestion when you understand the context of the verse. It's a command that if you are a follower of Christ, if you're not, I guess you're off the hook, but if you're a follower of Christ, the Bible says, encourage each other daily. And, And later in Hebrews, the same author writes this, let us not stop encouraging each other daily as some are in the habit of doing, but let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And there's many other places in scripture that says daily, make this a part of your daily habit, become a daily encourager. Why? Well, partly because God gave you the power to use your words, the capacity to lift people's spirits, to extend hope to them or love to them, to make an impact on them, to direct their lives or steer their lives even along the way, to infuse their soul with life. And I think we get that. I mean, my guess is most of you are kind of like with me, like, yeah, 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 I want to do that more, or I want to, I want to be that maybe to my, my kids or my friends or my roommate or, or my family or whoever that might be. But the question then becomes, why don't we? I mean, what are the obstacles that stand in the way from living this kind of life? Because I think people even outside of, you know, what would be like a follower of Jesus or, or outside of someone who might, might, you know, they may not believe in the Bible, people still resonate with this. This is just a true human thing, that it's good to exchange right words, and it's not to exchange negative, harmful, hurtful words. And so what I want to propose this morning, really simply, is is three primary things that we need to fight against. If we want to become daily encouragers, if we want to become the people that infuse life and hope and encouragement to those around us, there's three fights that we need to engage. And the first fight is this. It's a hard one to kind of absorb, but it's the fight against self-focus. And we're all guilty of this to one degree or another. And part of what we have to keep striving for with God's help is to take our eyes off ourself and to put our eyes on others. This is the way of Jesus. It doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, our natural tendency really is to think about ourselves, talk about ourselves, right? It's not all bad, but, but we orient our whole lives essentially around ourselves. And the Bible says we have this inherent self-focus. And part of the the, um, following of Jesus and the transformation that that God wants to do in your life is to begin to change that part of you and make you an other-centered person. Easy to understand in concept, difficult to become. And one thing about self-focused people is that, that we often don't really notice or we can just miss the people that God is bringing into our life. Or maybe we see them as an interruption or an annoyance at times even. And it takes a fight. It's going up current to fight against your own self-focus, to see the people that God has put in your life, to notice what they are going through, and sometimes even to speak into it. You know, to, to be an encourager, you have to be a noticer. You have to notice people. You have to notice what they're going through. You have to listen and then discern maybe what they might need to infuse them with life, to encourage them. Philippians chapter two cuts right to this. It says, when you do things, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourselves. 
Do not be interested only in your own life, right? It's not bad to be interested in your life, but don't be interested in only your own life, but be interested also in the lives of other people. And Paul is real clear here. Paul is teaching us something. And in the larger context of this text, what Paul says here is before you really start to see others, you have to see Jesus. And you have to see, begin to see with his eyes. And you see how Jesus was and how he lived with people and how he saw people. And that becomes part of you. And he begins to transform you into a other-centered person. There's one text in the Gospels where where it says about Jesus that he saw, he looked upon the crowd and he saw people as though they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw their needs. And people all around us have needs. And God wants to use you as an instrument to meet their needs in certain ways, appropriate ways. You will become the hands and the feet and even the mouthpiece of God in certain moments to bring hope and healing and life and encouragement. I love what another proverb says Chapter 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. When you're living connected to Jesus, the Bible calls you righteous in that sense, your words can be a fountain of life to others. But sometimes what we do is we wanna drink from the fountain because we have that need. We wanna drink from the fountain all for ourselves rather than become a conduit of that same fountain to others. That's the very reason why we must fight against self focus. Look to live a life of others' focus. It brings us to the second fight, and we all know this one. It's a fight against superficiality. This exists in most of our conversations, and that word sounds like really negative, perhaps, and I don't actually mean it as negative as it sounds, because on the surface, one might say, like, like conversation, small talk, you could even say, right? I mean, that's part of life. That's part of relationship. It, It just sort of is what it is, so it's not all bad. But God designed us to go deeper in conversations and relationships. And Jesus modeled this throughout the Gospels. And God is inviting women and men into a deeper way of being present with people. Perhaps calling you to be more intentional with steering the conversation from the surface and taking it to the depths. Not in every moment, not in a way that you force it but in a way that you're aware of it and you seize moments or you ask questions or you press into something in an intentional way. And sometimes that means speaking the very encouraging words that you have inside that you haven't spoken to another person. I remember I was riding in the car with a friend. His name was Joe Smith, very uncommon name. Uh, Joe Smith was riding with me and... uh, that was a joke, by the way. Um, we were riding in the car, and, and he was somebody I had, I had mentored and invested in and, and spent time with, and, and, um, and it had been some time you know, that we had been kind of hanging together, and we drove home. We both loved sports. We were talking about sports and just life and small talk, and you know, there was a connection and that kind of thing. We had a friendship, and, and I remember pulling up to, uh, to drop him off. I, I was taking him uh, with me somewhere. I pulled up to drop him off, and he just kind of paused before he got out of the car. And he could have just gotten out of the car and said, you know, see you, bro, you know, fist bump something, you know, left kind of thing. But he said, hey, hey just for a second, I just want to share something with you. And he, and he began to share how much of an impact I had made on his life. And he said one line, he said, thank you so much for loving me for who I am and not just for what I offer or what I can do for this organization. He worked with me. And those words were meaningful to me, right? And he went on and elaborated, that kind of thing. So I just said, hey, would you say that again for me? I'm just kidding, I didn't say that. (laughs) 
It filled me with life, right? I mean, those words, right? We've had those moments in life where somebody just spoke life into us. And what he didn't know is that internally there was a struggle going on in my own life. I was feeling kind of down. And he infused life. And often, more often than not, perhaps that's, that's one way God keeps us humble, I don't know. We don't even know the impact of those words. And when we break through this self-focus and superficiality or surface level, you know what can happen sometimes? This is a beautiful thing. What can happen sometimes is God can show up. The supernatural, in a sense, can become real. And I know if that sounds a little crazy, I mean, just think about your own life. You've probably had this happen where someone said a timely word and you had that moment where you go, man, God really used that. Or God worked or God moved in that conversation that went past the service and went into the deeper levels of the conversational realm. We have some friends who have been in the process of moving. And, and the, the husband of the family, they have, they have two little boys, and the husband of the family, um, he had to leave early. He got a job early, and they basically made him kind of come early before the rest of the family left. The kids were, you know, finishing up school, this kind of thing. And so there was several weeks kind of in there, and, um, and, and the, the wife was, was struggling. She had this conversation with my wife about middle of the way through. A few weeks had passed. She was struggling. It was hard. Him being gone, right, was tapping into some, like, fears and insecurities, and, and she was just struggling, and she was kind of complaining about it, and it was just, it was hard. It was hard on the kids. It was hard on her. Right? It was only a few weeks, but, but it, was, it was running deep. And, and, and what she told my wife, Sherry, in this conversation is that, that I was just on the phone with my husband, and, um, and he said this to me. He said, I need to tell you something, and I want you just to pause, and I want you to really hear it. And he said this. He said, I know your parents abandoned you when you were young, but I need you to hear that I will never abandon you. And they're good friends of ours, and when they said that, it's like tears came to my eyes. Because what happened in that moment is so powerful, right? He saw her. He could have said, hey, you know what, honey, hang in there. It's just a couple more weeks. We're going to be okay. Wouldn't have been bad. But he saw there was something deeper. There was insecurities. There was fears. There was stuff related to her painful past. There was a sensitivity there. And he spoke to it. He stepped into the moment and God showed up. Because what she told my wife is, man, I needed that so bad. More, more than anybody knows, I needed that so bad. And God uses moments like this. He wants to use you for moments like this. You can't force it, but you can step into it. You, you can notice people. You can see people. You can steer the conversation past the surface into the depths, past the superficial. And he wants to use you to heal people and enliven their spirits and give them hope and help them realign their lives. I mean, I think about even the spiritual conversations sometimes in life. I've, I'm more guilty than this than probably anybody in the room where there's moments that people are longing for something, that they want more, they want purpose, they want God, they're asking questions. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we don't show up for them. Not in a way that we give them all the answers as if there's some oversimplified way, but we show up and we ask questions and we're present with them and we listen and we struggle even with them. But we also look into those moments and go, there are people all around us that need hope. There are people all around us without God or they want to figure out how to process God or what to think about God or where to look to, 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 to engage with God. And we can be people who step up and one, just encourage them and bless them. I mean, what if, for those of us who are followers of Christ, what if we just looked at every day as like, let's just bless somebody who doesn't believe what we believe, 
Let's infuse encouragement and life and hope into their life in some way. I mean, what might happen in the relationships of your life? What if you blessed one person a day who doesn't believe anything close to what you believe? I mean, that would be really cool, I think. And I think Jesus is in full support of that because we see him do it over and over in the Gospels. And so we have these two fights. We need to fight against self-focus and move towards being other-focused, developing the eyes of Jesus. And we need to fight against allowing our conversations to stay on the surface and then wisely move into those conversations and try to discern what do people need? What do they need to hear? What would give them life and hope? And then there's this third fight. It's the fight against unwholesome talk. Paul says this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You see the word any? Circle that word any if you have your pen. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Man, what a challenge. And what a challenge. And there's all different ways that, that unwholesome talk comes out of, out of your mouth. I mean, basically what Paul is saying is stop breaking people down and start building them up. He's saying, let, let wholesome talk flow from you, the fountain of life that God made you to be. I mean, how we choose to talk both to people and about people I mean, we need to really assess and go, is it wholesome or not? Is it honoring God or is it less than honoring to God? Is it tearing another person down, demeaning them, discouraging them, or is it filling them up, encouraging them? Now, there's different applications of this. I mean, for some of us, the struggle here of unwholesome talk could revolve around sarcasm. Now, in our culture, I have found that sarcasm is often just kind of socially acceptable. You can sort of say anything you want, and as long as you say just kidding, right, or I was just joking, right, it's all good, right? And people laugh at it. There's not an apology. And for some of us, right, sarcasm is even more about our own fears and insecurities, and it comes out, and we need to face that. It's unwholesome. Maybe for others, it's how you talk about others, maybe even with subtle slights, and we need to assess that. The Bible is clear. It's not okay to talk poorly about people. Right? Spiritual maturity means you speak well of people, even when they aren't in your presence and even when they don't deserve it. That's what the Bible teaches us. And, and you know what? God often challenges us. I know he's challenged me to speak well of people that are kind of difficult to love in your life. And we all have probably one or two of those people, just hard you want to talk about it. You're, you're tempted to for whatever reasons. There's others of you for unwholesome talk. It occurs when you speak in a demeaning way to someone, and that comes out. And you don't want it to come out, but it comes out. It might even come out on the people you love the most, your family, in your marriage, your kids, your friend, your roommate, perhaps your coworkers, and you speak down to people, and you got to really look at it. That's unwholesome talk. It's not okay. Or, or perhaps it plays out through, dare I say, social media. Now, I could say a lot about this, but some of us need to monitor that more. Is what we're saying with our words through social media, yeah, it's a different medium. Is it honoring to God or is it tearing someone down? Is it building them up? Is it, is it wholesome or unwholesome? And we need to ask ourselves that question. It's not okay. And then there's this other layer that, that, that seems to not fit in the unwholesome talk category, but, but I think it's really important. It's this idea of withholding. That sometimes some of us, we withhold, a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us, withhold words that we know we ought to speak. 
right? So it's not so much that you're speaking poorly about someone, but you're not speaking at all. And I think this is important. Sometimes we're going around life trying to get our needs met, and so we lose sight of this. But here's the thing. My wife and I used to say this, even in the context of our own marriage. We used to say, thoughts don't count. Meaning, hey, we can think really good things about each other, but if we don't share that with each other, it doesn't count. Those of you who are married know what I'm talking about, right? You get into the mundane of life and you stop sharing those kind of words that maybe you shared early on when you were falling in love or your first year of marriage or whatever, right? But that's true beyond marriage too, that we have friendships and we have roommates and we have coworkers. And once X amount of time passes, especially, even if we were doing good at it before, we lose sight of that and we withhold. I mean, I'll never forget my father was sitting there with his father who was coming close to the end of his life. And, and, and I'm sitting there too, so it's three, well, two fathers and one, you know, soon what would be a father. And, and my grandpa said to my father, some, a couple like nice things, he was like proud of him of, right, I'm proud of you for this and for this. And, and grandpa knew, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm coming to the end of my life. But then after he said it, it was, I mean, you could tell it like meant a lot, like brought tears to my dad's eyes who like, you know, never cries ever kind of thing, you know, and you could just tell it, it meant something. But then my grandpa said to him, but then he pointed his finger and he said, don't let that go to your head. And I was like, I was like crushed. It wasn't even me he was talking to. And I was like, oh, you know, like, oh, wow, that ruined the whole thing. Right? It's like, oh, forget that, right? Forget the tear, you know, and it's like that moment though, my dad went on to tell me later, so, you know, I grew up my whole life, and I didn't have a dad. I said, I'm proud of you. Right? It was never specific. Maybe on rare occasion, he would say, I love you, but I don't even have a memory of that. So for that moment, for, for, for a couple minutes, was so meaningful to my dad So because he's, he's, his soul is kind of like, yeah, you're finally filling that part of my soul. And then he sort of rips it away in, in a sense, you know? And it was tragic to me in, in, a, in a way. But I thought about life and, and, and how sometimes words that we share with people don't happen until their funeral when they're gone. Or perhaps it's just on their birthday or in a context of marriage, right? It's those words that are, you know, at, um, at an anniversary. It's like, no, the, the scriptures teach us no, this, this ought to be a daily thing. This ought to be a consistent thing, that we need this. And we don't have to wor- wait for the perfect moment. We don't have to pray, hey, God, you want me to say encouraging things? No, it already tells us we ought to be doing that. It's a command, in fact. At work, I mean, think about this. You could be so uncommon at work if you just said, hey, every day I'm going to speak to one person. I'm going to bless them with encouraging words. I mean, that would be pretty cool. And I'm not talking about, especially guys, right? I mean, you get like, wait a minute, hold on, you know. But I'm not talking about grabbing their shoulders, looking in the eyes, creating a tearful moment, okay? It doesn't have to be like that. I mean, it could be like that, but certainly not talking about that at work. I'm talking about being intentional and moving conversation past the surface and taking it to deeper or just saying something kind that's sincere and specific, I mean, you might say, man, it would, be, um, it would have been easy to take credit for that project, but I noticed that you gave the team and me credit more than we deserve, and thank you for your sacrifice. I mean, imagine how meaningful that would be if someone did that at work. Or, or think about friendships. I mean, instead of simply saying, hey, you're a great friend, which is nice at one level, but be more specific and say something like, I saw how you met that person in crisis, or maybe met you in crisis. I saw that you noticed their sadness and pain in their eyes, and you leaned into it by asking a genuine and caring question about how they're doing. Wow, somebody noticed that you did that in a friendship. 
or we have missional communities around here. I mean, think about instead of saying, hey, great job tonight in the missional community, I mean, what if you got real specific and said, when you led the discussion, that you asked such insightful questions, you challenge our thinking, and you always do that. You have a real gift for making our group think and drawing us closer together. And I so appreciate you personally. You've helped me so much in my spiritual walk, right? Takes 30 seconds less to say something like that. And yet we withhold. Yet we don't pass on it. We may think it, but we don't say it. And what if we could be a community that did that with each other in different ways? When you're sincere and you're specific and you just take a moment, man, it's so meaningful, so meaningful. And it moves the conversation to the deeper place. I mean, for those married, speak forth words of encouragement when you're doing the dishes, when you're out to dinner, in the mundane of life, for parents in the room. I know not all of you are that, but I think the greatest contribution you can make in the lives of your kids, aside from introducing them to Jesus and following him, I think the greatest contribution is you can, you can speak um, encouraging words of life that help them know their worth, that help them see their value and their uniqueness, that they have a, measure, a measurable value in God's eyes as well as your eyes. And if we decide to be daily encouragers, I know this is not breathtaking information today, but, what, but it's important. It's important in life to, to make a decision. I'm going to be this kind of person, that even when I'm in need of it, even when I'm insecure about something, I'm going to pour forth words of life and encouragement and hope. Right? The mouth of the righteous are a fountain of life. I'm going to be the fountain of life to people. And you know what? You never know how timely your words are going to be. Proverbs 25.11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It's powerful. God shows up in those moments. The right words in the right moment can change a person's person, can change a person's moment, can change what a person's going through. They can change a person's life. They can redirect them. They can realign them. They can infuse them with courage. They can even change an eternity. And people all around us need their spirits lifted. We all do. We can't control if someone gives it to us, but we have every ounce of control of how we can give it to others. People are facing challenges and struggles, and we can infuse life into them and hope. We can encourage them. And God wants to use you, every single one of you. God wants to use you to speak these kind of words into other people's lives. And through that, he wants to show up in their lives. Don't force it, but man, be a vessel that God can use in the way that you use your words to be wholesome in how you speak, that you would get your eyes off self and put it on others, that you would, that you would be intentional about steering conversation past the superficial and service and into the depths and even the supernatural, and that you would fight against that temptation we all have to, to let our talk be unwholesome, whether it's outright unwholesome or whether it's withholding. I mean, I think that's a great challenge for all of us. I'm going to call the band up for a final song this morning. But here's my question for you. What if you had a one-person mission every day? What if you had a one-person mission, just one, where you said, I'm going to infuse that person with meaningful encouragement. I'm going to infuse that person with life or hope. I mean, imagine how that would change your friendships, perhaps your marriage, your family, your work environment. You can be a change agent in this, and God wants you to be a change agent in this. So 
My question this morning is, will you make that choice? In your own heart and as this song plays, will you make that choice? It honors God. It honors the people around you. And we just have to choose to be intentional with that choice, to be a daily encourager. Because ultimately, you know what? The Father wants us to hear every day and, and live from that place. He wants us to hear those words, I love you. He wants that to be what gives us life, what gives us encouragement. And when we live from that place, he fills us up with his love so that we can pour out to other people that love as well. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for a community of people that are encouragers. And that I know so many times in my own life, I have felt that from them. And many in the room have felt that from others. Thank you for this kind of community. And God, I also pray you would give us that spirit and determination to be this kind of person, men and women who encourage and fill others with life with their words. I pray this in Jesus' name.